Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 1. And he left there and he went to the region of Judea, beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and makes another, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us, that you will speak to our hearts, that you would strengthen us. Pray that you would take the gospel and apply it, that you would bring restoration and hope and forgiveness and grace. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Why is divorce so hard? Why does the hurt and uh, the stigma and the cloud of divorce seem to hang so long over your head? I mean, for instance, when a loved one dies after a prolonged illness, or, or even if there's a tragedy, you lose someone you love, the Christian community comes around you, people send you things and flowers, you have a funeral, we have meals. And through that, God uses that to help us recover, and pretty soon the, the pain dulls enough, you can start walking again, even if with a limp. But divorce, why does it linger so? Maybe it's because there isn't a funeral. Or, or possibly in our day and age with, with social media and you see everything, maybe it's because the offending party is still, you're just still aware. It could be this, could be the sense of, there could be the sense of, a rejection that you feel if you're in a Christian community and or a Christian environment, the sense of shame or kind of the scarlet letter syndrome. Why does this particular breakup have such lasting effects for us? Unexpectedly, I didn't expect it, unexpectedly, 
I think Jesus deals with some of these questions in our passage. Let's get the context. Here in chapter 10, Jesus is now leaving Galilee and Capernaum. He's back on the road. He's walking. He is not walking aimlessly. He is headed in a direction. With his ministry in Galilee over, he is now traveling to Jerusalem where Jesus in Jerusalem will complete his purpose of redemption. He will go to the cross and at the cross he will die in the place of sinners. And he will take the judgment for every sin of every sinner that will ever be saved. It's what he's going to do. But he's not there yet. On the way, he goes to a certain place. <clears throat> Mark tells us that he goes across the Jordan, and in this place, he starts to teach about marriage. And as he teaches about marriage, by association, he starts teaching about divorce. Now, whether you are single or married or widowed or divorced or divorced and remarried, this lesson from Jesus is given to strengthen your heart, to soothe your mind, so that you might flourish as a son or a daughter of God. Because the deeper lesson underneath this talk about marriage and divorce, the deeper lesson has to do with your relationship to God through Christ. Because, I'll make this the theme, because at the heart of marriage is the gospel. The heart of marriage is the gospel. We want to be careful. Be careful. I'm going to use that as the phrase to, to each of our points. Let's go to the first one. What are we careful about? Be careful how you rationalize. Be careful how you take truth and manipulate it to fit your situation so that you feel all right. Be careful with the whataboutisms. We joined the story in, in progress. Why don't we just go through, you follow me, starting in verse 1. I'll just sort of walk through the passage. Verse 1 tells us that he left there. Where is there? Capernaum. He's leaving his hometown. He is now on the road. We find out that he went to a place called Judea, which is across the river. He crosses over into the place where John the Baptist used to live. It's actually a place called Perea, P-E-R-E-A. And that's where John the Baptist lived. That's where John the Baptist preached. That's where John the Baptist got in trouble. Do you remember why he got in trouble? Because he spoke poorly about Herod Antipas and his new wife. Herod had decided he would take his brother's wife. He got the power and took his brother's wife. I don't know what was the matter with his brother. Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, he, he married his brother's wife. We don't know the backstory. What we know is that John the Baptist looked at that and said, you have broken the law. Well, you've got to be careful what you say about a king. And Herod didn't like it. Let me tell you who liked it worse was Herod's new wife. You're going to have some preacher talking to her like that. And so when the time came after John the Baptist had been put in prison, she had her daughter do a little dance in front of her new husband. It's a weird family. Had her daughter do a little dance in front of her new husband. Her new husband says, what would you like? She asked her mom and her mom says, get me John the Baptist's head. John the Baptist was killed because he spoke against divorce and remarriage. Now Jesus is traveling through that region, verse 1. He starts to teach and 
He's teaching on something totally different. Verse 2 tells us the Pharisees are there. They know what happened to John the Baptist in that region. And so they bring up something. Verse 2, notice that it's not a sincere question. The Pharisees came up and in order to test him, let's see if we can call attention. And this is what they ask. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The way Matthew writes it, they ask the question, <clears throat> is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, for context, you've got what happened with John the Baptist and Herod. You also have, in Judaism at that time, two schools of thought. One by Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai said you can't have a divorce unless there's adultery involved. He's narrow. Then there was another called Hillel, H-I-L-L-I-E-L, Rabbi Hillel was teaching everybody that you could have a divorce for any reason you wanted. He even wrote out reasons, listed a whole bunch of reasons. One of his reasons, you can divorce your wife if you come home and, sh and the meal she cooked you is burnt. Divorce her. It's fine. You can divorce her because she made a bad cup of coffee. You can divorce her. Because on the way to the market, she was walking. She stepped off of a ledge and people saw her ankle. She showed her ankle? Divorce her. So for any reason, that's what's going on. That's the tension underneath. And so the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They're hoping he'll say something that'll get back to Herod. They're hoping that people will see that he is a narrow-minded fundamentalist. So what does Jesus do in verse 3? Notice what he does. Jesus answered them and said, you're Pharisees, you believe Moses. What did Moses command? You'll notice that Jesus, here's, here's something you can just write on the margin. Jesus goes to the Bible to show, here's the final authority. The Bible is our final authority. We get our truth from the Bible. So he says, what did Moses say? Well, there are five books of Moses, and in verse 4, notice they quote something. Verse 4, what they're going to quote is chapter 24, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. They said, in verse 4, they're quoting Deuteronomy, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, if you go read the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, Moses has said, if you marry a woman and she displeases you in some regard, something has happened, it has not gone well. If you're going to divorce her, you can't just put her in the street. People will think she's a prostitute. Instead, you make it official. You give her a certificate of divorce, and then she can go and remarry another person. Now, if, if that marriage ends and her new husband dies, you can't come back and get her. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4 is about. Instead, the Pharisees have ripped it over here and said, yeah, Moses said we can do whatever we want. They're twisting Scripture. They're twisting the Scripture to fit the spirit of the day. Be careful that you don't take the Bible and manipulate it. Moses had given the people a concession. In fact, in verse 5, notice what Jesus says. Jesus tells the Pharisees, let me tell you why Moses did that. Read verse 5. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. 
Moses gave you that as a concession, not a commandment. He did that. What is the law given to us for? The law is to show us the holiness of God. The law shows us this, our own sinfulness. And the law of God is used to restrain evil. The reason Moses gave that to you is because you got a hard heart. Because you would, you would have treated your wife terribly. And so that law is there to limit damage. This law is there to restrain evil. This law was there to protect victims. H.B. Charles, when he looked at this, H.B. Charles is uh, one of my favorite preachers. I love to hear him preach. He, he, uh, he starts out real slow and then picks up speed as he goes. And uh, he's not, he wouldn't be any good on a drag race, but he's more like a freight train. You know what I mean? He's moving, he's moving real fast. And H.B. Charles looked at this and said, you know, <clears throat> divorce might be the lesser of two evils, but the lesser of two evils is still an evil. Let's not forget what God has said in Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, what did he say? God hates it. God is never Let's look, let's look straight at it now. God is never pleased with divorce. Even when he permits it. Yes, Deuteronomy 24, he is permitting it to protect the woman, to restrain evil, to provide justice. But when you look at the perfect law of God, the perfect word of God, be careful about the, the whataboutism. Be careful with the rationalizations. Be careful how you might manipulate. How, how you might twist or, or ignore what God has said. Be careful. Let's go further in things to be careful with. Here's the second thing, number two. Be careful who you listen to. Careful who you listen to. Look what Jesus does when he starts to talk about marriage in verse 6. There can be a whole lot in verse 6. I mean, in verse 6, you find Jesus and his view of creation. You find Jesus' view of scripture. You find Jesus' view of gender. Let me show it to you, verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, this is Jesus talking. He's using creation. From the beginning of creation, now he's quoting the Bible, God made them male and female. So what does Jesus affirm right here in verse 6? Here's a little bit of an aside. So right here in verse 6, Jesus affirms the historicity of creation. He says that we didn't come from ooze. God created. He, Jesus affirms the historicity of creation. I'll go even further. Jesus affirms the historicity of an original Adam and Eve. Here's Jesus pointing to creation. Not only that, here in verse 6, Jesus affirms the authority and the reliability of Scripture. The Pharisees have asked him a question, and he, to give them an answer, says, let me point you back to what God said. So he uses the Bible. When you hear someone say that the inerrancy of the Scripture or the infallibility of Scripture is a man-made doctrine, it is, but that man was Jesus. He's the one that gave it to us. He's the one who's pointed back to the authority of the Bible. Not only that, Be careful where you get your theology. Be careful. Don't get your theology off TikTok. You hear me? You go to the Bible. Jesus has said, here's where we get our authority. That's verse 6. But notice what else Jesus affirms. 
Jesus affirms in verse 6 the goodness of gender. See what it says? But from the beginning of creation, then he quotes the Bible. He's quoting the Bible here in, verse, in Genesis 1. God made them male and female. He has made it so that humans are binary in nature. This verse right here, from the mouth of Jesus, quoting Genesis, makes us take a hard look at the entire transgender movement. And the entire transgender movement that has swept the nation is nothing more than a dystopian reversal of God's good creation of a man and a woman. That's all that is. You, you don't even have to be a Christian to see that. You don't have to be a Christian to be watching ESPN and a women's swim event and it be won by a really large person that gets out with a woman's swimsuit on and is obviously a man standing in a crowd of women six to eight inches, a foot taller. Or if you'd like to watch MMA and, and, and a man gets in the ring presenting himself as a woman, but a man to fight a woman and her brutally beaten up. Now, a country that can watch that and call it entertainment cannot long last. You don't have to be a Christian to know that's wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to know boys don't hit girls. I mean, as Christians, this is, verse 6 is partly why we can't affirm same-sex marriage or so-called same-sex marriage. Because according to God's word and the affirmation of Jesus right here, there is no such thing. Jesus is taking creation to show us what marriage is, that marriage is not just a Christian invention, it is a creation ordinance. And it is given to humanity for humanity's good that God designed marriage to be the union of two different sexes, two different but complementary sexes for the flourishing of society. You can change all the laws you want. You can't change divine order. Be careful now. Be careful. Be careful how you rationalize. Careful how you, you, you feel it pulling you one way and you decide, I can probably have a foot here and a foot there. Jesus himself in this passage reaches back to Adam and Eve and, and to affirm what God's word has said. And he presents marriage as something created by God to be between a man and a woman. Be careful who you listen to. Let me give you a third thing to be careful of. You'll find in verse 7 and 8. Number 3, be careful where your loyalty lies, where your loyalty, who you're loyal to. Let me show you where I get that in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 is a, correct, is a direct quotation from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Jesus is making the argument of the longevity of marriage based on creation. The Word of God. God's design. Let me read it to you in verse 7. <clears throat> Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. 
so they are no longer two but one. Verse 7, therefore a man will leave. So, so you've heard the leave and cleave. The leave, that we're leaving. This is an abandoning. You are walking away from the security of the home that you were a part of, of the provision of your dad's home, of the protection of being there. You leave that risking it. You go out on your own and you take hold of that woman and you keep her as tight as you can. That's what verse 8 says. So much so that this covenant it will be as if you are one flesh, no longer two units, one unit. You know what you have right there in verse 7 and 8? That's the, covenant of, that's the covenant of marriage, and it is a picture of the gospel. When Paul is trying to explain the relationship between the church and Christ, what that looks like, God brings to mind for him the picture of marriage. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, uses marriage to explain how the church and Christ relate. Do you remember what it says? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, 3, 4, and 5. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And he turns to the husbands. Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's the relationship for husbands. You would be, what did Christ do? He goes to the cross and he, he dies in the place of sinners. And Paul says, husbands, that, that's you. Do that. Do you see how he takes marriage and infuses it with the gospel? Do you see that marriage is the, is the, has the highest regard of God? It's, it's given at creation. It displays the gospel. Maybe you're not clear on what the gospel. The gospel is that God has loved you. Even when you were a rebel, you were running from him. You didn't know he existed. He loved you. He loved you to the degree he gives us Jesus Jesus is the, is the God-man, the perfect one. Jesus lives perfectly. All of the commandments of God, all of them he keeps. He always honored his father and mother. He never, never was mad at anyone, murdered, never murdered, never, never committed adultery, never told a lie, never stole, didn't covet. All of the commandments you can think of, he kept them in, in a way that we can't. At the cross, what he does, he does something different. He then, the perfect one, takes all the punishment. That's what the cross is. Cross is punishment. God punishes Jesus in our place. So he takes the wrath that we deserve. And then we get the life. What does he do? That perfect life, keeping commandments? He gives that to you. So that anything you've done, he takes the punishment. All the perfection he did... You get that righteousness. That's the gospel. And here, the gospel becomes a picture and marriage becomes a picture of the gospel and who we are loyal to. Careful who you're loyal to. It calls for loyalty to Christ. It calls for loyalty to the gospel. It calls for loyalty to the person that you're married to. Be careful where your loyalties lie. Let me give you a fourth thing to be careful of. At verse 9, be careful of your of your foundation, 
your foundation. Look at the strong language in verse 9 of permanence. Let me read it, verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I say that every time I finish a wedding ceremony. I'm doing a wedding ceremony. We stand here and go through the vows. And then after the vows, I will charge the husband, charge the wife with their responsibilities. Then I'll say, by the power invested in me by God in the great state of North Carolina, I now pronounce you man and wife. They will kiss. And when they do that, the crowd gets real excited. Everybody claps. And I'll stand over to the side and I'll say this. What God has brought together, let no man put asunder. Now, some of you thought somebody in England made that up. No, Jesus said that. He's the one that's pointing to the permanency. What is he saying? God did marriage. God brought you together. And if God has done this, man must not undo it. If I had to give a definition of marriage, I would say it like this. Marriage is the God-ordained, indissoluble union of a man and a woman in a lifelong covenant, a lifelong covenant relationship to display the gospel of grace. I'm going to say it again. Marriage is a God-ordained, indissoluble union of a man and a woman in a lifelong covenant relationship. What's it for? To display the gospel of grace. It's the foundation of a society. It is given to us for our good, God's glory. Now, to treat marriage flippantly is to treat God's word flippantly. Now, that's going to lead me to my last point. My last point. All of you that have been through a divorce, or you are divorced, or you've been remarried after a divorce, you're wondering where do you fit? Verses 10 and 11, it's heavy, and then we get there. You join me there. Be careful what you count as sacred. It's the last point. Be careful what you count as sacred. Join me there in verse 10. Jesus has taught all of these things. He did it out in front of everybody. So like the disciples always did, they said, let's have a conference after this. So verse 10, they're asking him, hey, we need to revisit what you said about divorce. And in verse 11 and 12, Jesus, it's as if he's saying, okay, I'm going to try to make this as clear as I possibly can. Notice what it says, verse 11. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And then Jesus adds something that is only legal in Rome. And if she divorces her husband, marries another, she commits adultery. What is Jesus saying? It's going to be hard for you to listen to. Keep looking at it now. You stay with me. Divorce is a violation of God's intention for marriage. It always is and it always involves some kind of sin. To show how serious it is, Jesus, in verse 11 and 12, he is quoting the commandments. That's what he's doing. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. He quotes the seventh commandment, and he says, if you divorce your wife, you divorce your husband, you break the seventh commandment. It's a depressing, I mean, that's, it's, that's it. That's the end. Especially when I, 
I know so many people I love and respect and call friends that have walked through a divorce. What do you do here? What do you, what do, you do with this? Well, remember what we're doing now. Remember. We always take a passage in its context. What Jesus has done here in verse 11 and 12, he has pointed to the, to the mountain of God where the law is given in Mount Sinai. And he's pointed up to the Ten Commandments. And this is, and this is what he says, you broke those. But don't forget, Jesus is on the road now. He's headed to a different mountain. He is headed to Mount Calvary. And at Mount Calvary, he will then take the punishment for every commandment broken on Mount Sinai. Now look at me. If you've gone through a divorce, you felt weird in a church, let me just tell you. On Mount Calvary, all the judgment, all the shame, all the stigma, all the wrath, all of it, he takes it all at the cross. And once again, what he does is not just take it from you, he then brings to you a sparkling white garment, the one of a virgin bride, and puts it on you, washing you, cleansing you, and making you his. Sacred. Because at the heart of marriage is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where the gospel is, you put your faith in Christ, if you believe that, where the gospel is, there is hope, there is restoration, there is joy, there is forgiveness, there is a future. Where the gospel is, there is a promise. Thank the Lord for that. With that in mind, let me say a word of prayer and we'll close out our time of sermon. Turn our attention for a moment to remembering what Christ has done. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the word that you've given us. Thank you for the hope, the hope that is in the gospel. As we take the Lord's Supper, pray that you would make it something that reminds us that you would bring assurance today to the hearts of those that may feel weak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.